0: the awakened heart, the awakened heart. And I'm going to read to you a quote from the 37 Practices of a Bodhisattva. And I'm going to read it to you now. And I quote, All suffering without exception comes from wanting to find happiness for oneself. Perfect enlightenment comes from wanting to find happiness for others. I'm going to read that again. All suffering without exception comes from wanting to find happiness for oneself. Perfect enlightenment comes from wanting to find happiness for others, end quote. So that message is that we get more out of helping others than we get out of helping ourselves. Is that true? I don't know. But I do know this, obsessing with our own desires and wishes does not make us happy. We, get, we cling to all the things we wish we had. Whether that be the attention of someone or wealth or objects or careers, whatever. We obsess with the things we don't have and that doesn't make us happy. And I think there's really no end to that. So even if you think you're accomplishing all of your goals and getting everything you want, there's always another thing around the corner to chase after. Always, always, always. And that chasing, that rat race to get more and more makes us unhappy. Makes us unhappy. So, uh, in the book, The Power of Mind, Kendra Lodrote says, The root of all suffering is our intense clinging to the idea of our identity, what we call the self, and the extreme attachment to that self, what we call selfishness which leads to afflictive thoughts and emotions. The root of all happiness is the wish to benefit others. This motivation, which is focused on the welfare of others and the pursuit of ultimate freedom, is what we call bodhicitta. Uh, Bodhicitta is a Sanskrit word. It means the mind of awakening. The mind of awakening, okay? It's our positive, positive, virtuous true nature, or rather our positive virtuous true nature, our Buddha nature manifests bodhicitta. And cultivating bodhicitta is the tool we use on this journey. More on that later. But the point is that we have this attachment to ourselves and we obsess about our selfishness, we obsess about our desires, and it doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve us. And we get eaten up by nothing sometimes. And what I want to advocate is we learn to stop having this mind that says, why is this happening to me? And instead to cultivate a mind that says, right now it's like this, what can I do? Right now it's like this, what can I do? And that's going to serve us better. So enlightenment is our true nature. And so we all have the potential to attain it, all beings We could say though, that it's not really about attaining because it's not. It's just seeing through the things that obscure our true nature, seeing through the things that obscure it. So I'm gonna tell you a story. Uh, It'll be really short, I hope. Centuries ago on an island, there was this temple, this Buddhist temple, and they had a big, beautiful golden statue. And they actually called their temple the Temple of the Golden Buddha, okay? And one day news came that the area the temple was in was going to be invaded by another country. It was going to be invaded. And the monks that lived at this temple, they thought, oh, the invaders don't respect Buddhism. They're going to take our, te- our, our big Golden Buddha and they're going to just take it. They're going to melt it down or sell it or something. They're going to want that gold. So they're going to take it and they're going to desecrate it. That's what the monks thought. And some of these monks had been there a very long time. The temple, the statue was well known throughout the area. Actually, people came just to see the statue and then would stay and get Buddha Buddhist teachings. So it was really meaningful to have that statue there. And this one monk comes up with this idea. He says, well, what if we just cover it in mud and rocks and just really slather that on there so nobody can tell that it's gold underneath. And they think, oh, that might work. So the monks decide they're going to try to completely cover their statue and make it look dirty and gross before the invaders get there. So then the invaders will get there, they'll see this, what they think is a dirty stone statue, and they'll just leave. They'll just leave. And so that's what they did. So all the monks in the temple got together and they just covered their wonderful beautiful revered statue in dirt and mud and rocks and they just did everything they could to make it look bad and so these invaders come in the invaders did come as expected and they see a dirty stone statue and they just leave they don't even hurt the monks they just leave they think there's nothing worth taking here so they leave And, of course, we'll never know if they would have taken the gold statue, but I I tend to think they would have. So, then what happens? These invaders are around for a little while. Okay? So, the monks do not clean off the statue. They do not take care of it. They do not restore it to its former state. They leave it just in case. And what happens is decades go by. Decades go by and so much time passes that those monks that saw the original golden Buddha statue are all gone, okay? And they don't really talk about it because, again, they don't want people to hear about it and come take the statue, right? So they don't even really talk about it. So a whole generation passes, and there's a new generation, and that generation passes, and there's another one, okay? So we are many, many years removed from that statue being uncovered in gold and beautiful. And one day, a young monk is meditating by the statue, and he notices a glint in it, and he goes to investigate, and he sort of wipes away some of the dirt, and he sees that it's gold underneath. And he goes to the assembly and he goes to all the monks and he says, hey, this statue actually gold. We should try to clean it. And so all the monks go and they clean the statue and they get all the mud and the dirt and the rocks off it. And it's just like it was before. It's a beautiful gold statue. The only the thing that's changed, though, is these monks had no idea that they were with a beautiful gold statue the whole time. They had no idea. Now, why? Why would I share that story? I'm going to tell you. We are like that. We are like the gold statue. Our true nature underneath is awake, wise, positive, and great. But we are covered in dirt and mud. We are covered in our greed, our obsession with ourselves, our emotional baggage, our delusions, our preconceived ideas even, and sometimes those may not be 100% negative, but we're held back by those. And we're just trying to get the gold underneath too. That is one way that I like to think about enlightenment as our true nature, or the awakened heart, bodhicitta, as our true nature. The gold is, the first glint of the gold is the bodhicitta. And I think if we're really paying attention, that mind of awakening, I think we can perceive it in ourselves. It's there. It's our true nature. And because it's our true nature, anyone can cultivate it. Anyone can realize it. No one gets left out. We just have to get our minds right, get our virtue right, and we can pursue finding our true selves. Finding our true selves. So, Uh, In the book, The Power of Mind, Lodro Lodrote, he goes on to say, To awaken to it, we need the support of this precious human body, the condition of a qualified spiritual teacher, and the skillful methods of a teacher's advice and guidance on the path. Because we innately possess the ground for awakening, once we have the support, the conditions, and the methods... The results, temporary and ultimate happiness, are ensured. So this is the reminder. Everything comes from causes and conditions, even our own awakening. And what we want to do is set the right causes and conditions so our awakening comes. So our awakening comes. And... That's, that's what we're doing. We're just trying to line up our situation so it's the most likely to bring us to enlightenment or to bring us to great insights and realizations and wisdom. So, um, I'm going to do more to explain what bodhicitta is now. Everything in this mind training practice is founded on bodhicitta. So it's important. It's sometimes described as profound compassion and wisdom. And I kind of like that because it makes it sound really powerful and important, which it is. And uh, Lodrote defines bodhicitta as, the consummate, kind, and I quote, the consummate kind heart. It is the ground from which all positive qualities and insights grow. The springboard for our spiritual journey. If we are motivated by the great intention to benefit others, then calm abiding, also known as shamatha, and other forms of meditation will be easily accomplished, and profound insight meditation, or vipassana, which is the recognition of true nature, will progress. So, what's he telling us? He's telling us when we get our wisdom right when we get our wisdom in line maybe we're not going to struggle so much anymore and we'll really we'll really be going somewhere so like i said everything is f- founded on bodhicitta so it's important to us to think about the awakened heart bodhicitta there are generally said to be two qualities of bodhicitta that motivate us, that motivate a Buddhist practitioner in the right way, okay? Uh, Number one is the compassionate wish to help others. And then number two is the wisdom to pursue ultimate perfection. And so some people have some, maybe a struggle focusing on the second one, and it's okay to spend a lot of time on the first one. We can always have more compassion in our hearts. I believe that we can always have more compassion in our hearts. So the, the compassionate wish to help others that's focused needs to be focused on all living beings, no exceptions. This is based on the recognition that all beings want happiness and freedom from suffering. We want to strive not to be biased or judgmental. So we may have this in our minds. Yeah, but even that person, what about, what about that person, right? We, we could easily come up with reasons why some people don't deserve help. Some people should not be honored with our compassion. We can easily think of that if we try. And what we are called to do is not do that, but rather wish compassion for even wish to help even the people that we really judge and don't think deserve help. And that second one, wisdom to pursue ultimate perfection, well, that is focused on ultimate happiness and freedom from suffering. We want to, to get to that state, we have to sort of overcome or purify our, our obscurations and hindrances and to realize our true nature, which again, is always there. Uh, Kendra Lodrote says, The more wisdom we cultivate, the more we see the need to pursue this ultimate goal and to bring all beings to that state. So as we're going on this path, we sort of see more and more. Um, the Chan Buddhist master Hanshan Shan De Ching, he said, I really like this quote, so I'm bringing it in here. He said, the mountain of wisdom is not like other mountains. The more we climb, the faster we grow. I think that's it. Anyway, that's close. I might might have butchered, butchered that quote a little bit. But the point is, we can compare this path to like climbing a mountain, except climbing a mountain gets harder and harder. And what Han Shan De Ching said was, Well, cultivating wisdom doesn't get harder and harder. Rather, your insights set the table for more insights. So if it's like climbing a mountain, it's like climbing a mountain and finding climbing tools on the way. Like finding climbing tools. So one more thing about bodhicitta. um, Bodhi refers to is usually translated as enlightenment or the state of purification and realization, complete purification and realization. And citta is translated as the heart-mind, the heart-mind. And um, I'll I'll take a moment on that. Uh, They didn't have in the time that this path was being laid out, they didn't really have the awareness we have now of well, and actually, I don't know if it's totally true, but we think the brain is the seat of consciousness and the heart has nothing to do with consciousness. And in those days, they thought more holistically. They thought the mind and the heart were were both the seat of consciousness. So when they say the heart-mind, well, that's because we're really thinking about both. We're really think, thinking about the consciousness of Enlightenment, the state of total purification and realization, okay? And what we want is for bodhicitta to be our motivation, to be our motivation. Our motivation is the awakened heart. And if our motivation isn't bodhicitta, we can get a lot out of meditation, but it's not going to lead us to enlightenment. That's the teaching here. If we're motivated uh, because we want to be really good at our job. If we're motivated because we want to get people to think we're cool. I don't know what else motivates people to do this. But that bodhicitta motivation is what takes us to enlightenment. The, The open heart is the whole of the path. And I think... We need to remember that. We need to remember that. So um, the old master Atisha said, cultivate a kind heart. That was his main suggestion. Cultivate a kind heart. And I think that's a good thing for us to do. Our motivations are often selfish The motivation of only trying to benefit yourself is a hindrance to spiritual practice and to happiness. And I think we need to keep that in mind. So I'd like to read to you um, a bit of a longer quote from the book, The Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodroté, because I think it's really instructive as an example. Okay, so. And I quote. Thinking only of benefiting ourselves is one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual practice because it prevents us from making progress on the path. Even in worldly affairs, selfishness causes great harm. We can see this play out in every aspect of our lives in ways large and small. When someone is a ruler of a region, for example, and that person is only concerned with their own wants and needs— It results in great harm for the ruler and for the people who live in their country. On an individual level, our thoughts are dominated by what I want, and consistently centering our own desires above the needs of others, but we aren't able to accomplish what we truly want. Even when we're healthy and all our natural needs are met, our mind still isn't happy. We might get depressed, or angry, or jealous. The more we are concerned with ourselves, the more disturbing emotions we have. And as our disturbing emotions increase, so too does our suffering. So I really like that. I really thinking about, um, I like thinking about that that ruler who just only thinks about their selfish desires. And so they're not a very good ruler and they actually um, can harm a lot of people that way. I think we can all, we can all imagine a leader like that, even if we don't have a name to to attach that to. But if you try, I think you can attach a a political leader or a business leader that you think is that way, that you think is only motivated by their self-interest and is not trying to help anybody, trying to help anybody. you know. I like to think, um, I feel like we need more statesmen and less politicians. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. I feel like we need more people who um, are inspired by service rather than accomplishing goals. That's what I have to say about that. So, what are disturbing emotions? Our disturbing emotions come from self-clinging. And these are those things that get us off track. Our anger, irritation, greed, lust. These are disturbing emotions. Even even feelings like I'm not good enough is a disturbing emotion that comes from self-clinging. It's just a different self-clinging, but it's still self-clinging a person who thinks I'm not good enough is searching for some kind of validation from outside of themselves, right? And that's maybe not uh, something they're gonna find. Obsessing about our desires and seeing ourselves as more important than other people does not help us. Does not. us. The way to happiness is by thinking of others. Because if I can take joy in someone else's happiness, then there's no end to the amount of happiness I can have in my life. There's no end. So the question is, can we do that? Can we do that? We want to develop an, an intention that is altruistic and a mind that is benevolent. And then we want to act on that. We want to act on that. So again, if we're just only motivated by achieving our own happiness, by having that extra bowl of ice cream, by getting that great car or having that extra zero in our bank account, that's again, beyond our needs, um, we're going to be suffering. We're going to be suffering. So uh, Kentro Lodrote, he goes on to say, We need to change our minds and our motivation at the very core, which is the point of these mind training teachings. We need to practice bodhicitta and integrate that view into our experience so that it becomes the basis of everything we do. Bodhicitta, and end quote, bodhicitta is that powerful tool that we're using to tame our minds. To develop and strengthen our bodhicitta, we train our minds with formal meditation practice. This is all something we're doing within our minds. It doesn't happen outside of us. And that is empowering. Change is within. Change is within. So uh, he goes on to say, and I quote, If we meditate again and again and we train in the practice over and over, it eventually becomes our ongoing experience and completely natural. Until that point, we need more training. End quote. Until that point, we need more training. So that's, that's what we're doing. We're cultivating compassion. We're cultivating the awakened heart until the awakened heart is just our baseline, a normal thing that is who we are that we don't have to cultivate quite so much. That's it for today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me and have a good day. Thank you for listening and have a good day.